Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast, where our heart is that everyone would experience true sanctuary in Jesus. We're currently in our Advent series, which we're calling Prepare Him Room, and we're looking to create space in our hearts as a community for God to break in this Christmas season. Uh, Just a quick note, our teaching often does include uh, some discussion and community response, and we do intentionally edit that out in order to preserve confidentiality in the Sunday experience. Uh, So you'll likely not hear the full content or context of the teaching. Uh, But still, our hope is that this will encourage you and equip you. And really, we're just so honored you would listen in. So here it is. All right, we'll get started with our Advent series today. Um, We're going to be looking at Luke 2, verses 22 through 40. That's awesome. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to break into groups to do our discussion, and we'll come back and, uh, and have a conversation about it. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that your word goes forth and speaks to us today. Thank you, uh these accounts were captured for us, God. I just pray that we would, you would open our hearts. You would, just as Mary and Joseph uh, were probably arrested that day and uh, learned some things about your son, God, would you arrest our hearts today? Would you interrupt us? Would we learn some new things about your son? Would you meet with us, God, today? Open up the scripture. Help us, God. We need your help. Amen. Awesome. So what we normally do, break into groups, ask a couple questions. What does this passage say about God? What does this say about people? Uh, We'll take about five minutes, do that, come back, and uh, see what comes out of our discussion. Sound good? Well, cool. Well, um, I love this story. When I first read it, I was like, what? Is there like a sermon in here? And then it was like, there's so much here. And what I'm going to plan on doing, I'll do a little intro Actually, just I'm, I didn't prepare a full preach, truth be told, but I'm just I just like studied a lot of commentary. I'm just going to go verse by verse and highlight a few things, and then I'll wrap this up at the end. I think with three points, and don't worry, that's like the end. It's not going to be full three on points, but just to like summarize everything together. But if you guys have comments, questions, like especially as we go verse by verse, like if there's a question about it, you can just kind of keep along. Oh yeah, this is a Rembrandt's. Uh, depiction of this event of um, Simeon and Anna holding Jesus. Um, well, one of the themes of the Christmas text all over is that Jesus doesn't arrive. When God makes his appearance to earth, he doesn't arrive in the way that we think he should, the way that we expect him to, in the places or the manners in which you would expect a king to come to earth. Um, he was born in Rome, not Rome, right? He was not born in Jerusalem, the cultural or the power center or the spiritual center. He was not born in a palace or a temple. He was at his birth. It wasn't Caesar Augustus. It wasn't Herod that was there at his side, not the high priest, not the Pharisees. Um, he was born in Bethlehem with shepherds and animals in a food trough. The best we know, maybe a cave, but unglamorous 
circumstances. C.S. Lewis says you might say he came in disguise. Frederick Buechner says he comes in a way that you can easily dismiss him, this King Jesus. We know his second coming will be very different, but this coming, it's like on the edge of society in an occupied territory. And that's the backdrop of our text. Um, Mary and Joseph now are arriving in what is the cultural center of their time, Jerusalem, the spiritual capital. It would be a huge metropolis, and we know they're not, they're country folk, right? They're not from Jerusalem. And can you imagine, I mean, just put, put your, your, your mind's eye on a second. I did the math. Oliver is 57 days old today. This story would have happened when Jesus was 40 days old, two weeks younger than Oliver. And just imagine new parents, firstborn, having just given birth without all of the medical technology and intervention and things that we have today, giving birth in a manger, going through that hole, and then 40 days later, going into the city, going into the metropolis. I mean, imagine just they're probably exhausted. They're trying to figure everything out, and yet they're coming in. That's, that's the backdrop. But, but um, in addition, I mean, this is a foreign occupied territory. We've talked about that. God has been silent for 430 years. And they arrived in this place, Jerusalem, where all sorts of different people would be doing different approaches to try to, like, earn their salvation or find God or whatever. You have the zealots who are trying to overthrow the Roman government. You got the Pharisees that were trying to add laws and become super clean to, like, meet God. You got the tax collectors who are cooperating, collaborating with their occupiers. All of these different groups and factions and all trying to do their own thing. And what I think is incredible about this story is when God himself entered Jerusalem in the flesh for the first time, no one noticed. No one noticed. God was right there. And all of these people, who actually noticed? It was these two people, Simeon and Anna. Not even Mary and Joseph as we come to find out, really fully grasp everything. I mean, they know part of it. But Simeon and Anna are the ones that actually reveal to Mary and Joseph even more about what is going on. And it begs the question, how are we to become the type of people that if God wanted to reveal his plans to, that he would do it? What can we learn from Simeon and Anna? And I think we're in a season of Advent. Advent is, means arrival. I think it's a Latin term, right? Arrival, is it? Journey? I just look at you because you taught at Donum Day, so I assume. <laughs> <laughs> it means arrival in some language. Uh, I promise you that. Um, the arrival of Christ, is, and we sit in between the two Advents, the arrival of Christ the first time, and his coming again. And we, were, we read about these people that were waiting for the coming Messiah, and we too are in the season of waiting for the fulfillment, with the here but the not yet. And, um, and I think the question is, what can Anna and Simeon teach us about how we prepare our hearts in this season? So let's, let's go verse by verse. I'll just point out a few things. Um, and I'll read them again if you, you try to keep up with me if you can. Um, 
That'd be awesome. Verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So I already talked about at this this, this purification would have happened 40 days after birth. It was to be circumcised eight days after birth, and then purification 40 days. Um, the pair of doves that are offered as the sacrifice gives us a clue that Mary and Joseph couldn't afford the lamb that was normally required in this. So we don't know if they were like super poor or just like not super well off. There's some debate in the commentaries about that. But we do know that Jesus was born into a family that was not of great means, uh, which some of us can relate to. Um, To consecrate means to set apart, to to dedicate or formally, to dedicate formally to the purposes of God. And there's this kind of callback all throughout this passage to Hannah presenting Samuel at the temple, dedicating his life to the Lord. Um, And in fact, Luke combines the purification rites, which are required for all firstborns, as well as the consecration rites, which are only required for the Levites. But they choose to go through that, even though it's not required. And it shows, it emphasizes even Mary and Joseph, the best they can, they knew they wanted to dedicate this baby to the Lord. They knew there was something different about Jesus. And so there's this theme of actually going above and beyond, consecrating, setting themselves apart. Um, and I love this. This is the third, in th- these three verses, the first three verses, the law is mentioned three times. It's mentioned one more. And this is this idea that even as a baby, even 40 days old, Jesus is like the perfect fulfillment of the law. Like he's done everything right, which hallelujah is amazing because we have it. But he has. We found someone that has. And he is perfect. Even from the birth, he is ours. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation actually means comfort. He's waiting for the comfort, the comforting of Israel. And it it says, as you pointed out, the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. We already talked about this, Simeon. We don't know a lot about it. This is the only passage in all of Scripture. None of the Gospels mention him other than Luke, which is fascinating, by the way, because most scholars would agree that the only reason Luke knows about this is because like Luke's key witness, get, like as he was trying to recount this, was Mary herself. That's why the Magnif- Magnificat is recorded in Luke's Gospel. Um, And so obviously this encounter was like seared in Mary's memory because she's recounting this to Luke and Luke's pinning this down. But this is the only gospel that we we know. He's just an ordinary man, but there's four descriptors we do know of Simeon. It's first that he's righteous, which means he has virtuous character. Devout means completely committed. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, as Dan pointed out. It's full of expectation, carrying expectation in his bones. And the Holy Spirit was on him, which, as you pointed out, Scott, is rare. The Holy Spirit hadn't been 
poured out yet. Um, and this, the consolation is kind of like a key word. It points back to Isaiah 40. It's a reference, uh, a famous prophecy. Comfort, comfort, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. In the next chapter in Luke, Luke's going to use this to enter John the Baptist onto the scene. Uh, because John, it says, a, it's, this is the same prophecy where it says, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a pathway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain made low. A rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all people will see it together. And so there's this idea, he's waiting for this act. Uh, actual moment, this, this specific moment, the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, what is he also described as in, in New Testament? The comforter. The consolation is the Greek word paraklesis. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, that's in the Greek, that's parakletos. You can see the relation there. And so as he's waiting for comfort, the Holy Spirit comes on him. And there's this idea of the Holy Spirit comforting. Um, And we already talked about how it signifies Jesus and the Holy Spirit's central role all through the Jesus story. And and, and Jesus is going to usher in the Holy Spirit to everyone. Um, But what I think is incredible about Simeon, this ordinary man, not only was he devout and righteous, but he was responsive to the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? Like he said, the Holy Spirit, he was moved by the Holy Spirit and he obeyed. He, he went to the temple right when he had the prompting. So we know that about him. Verse 27, when the parents brought in the child to do with him what the customs of the law required, Simeon took him in the arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Now just like try to picture this moment, like especially those who are moms, like new mom, 40-year-old baby, you go to the temple to dedicate, and like this old man comes and like tries to grab your baby and does and carries. You'd be like, no, like back off. Like this is an awkward moment. But the faith that Simeon had, he knew, he was confident that this baby was Jesus, was the, the, the promised Messiah. And what does he say? He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, this baby is a fulfillment everything he had been longing for. How? According to the power of God. This man has been like waiting forever. And it's like, he's here. He's here. He's like, and it's not a letdown. He's like, he said, I can actually die now. Like my life is fulfilled. I'm not going anywhere else. Like, this, like seeing Jesus in the flesh is so good. Like I'm not going to top anything else. Like this is what I've lived for. I think so many of us often... You know, we live for these things. We put our hopes and our dreams in these things that we get it and it just let us down. I remember walking with Tom in McLaren Park uh, not too long ago. And I'd been going for this huge promotion at work um, and, and actually got it. Uh, and it was about a year later, you know, I was able to lead, the, lead this, the whole company I work for now. And about a year later, we were walking through... I think it was like this time last year, maybe, maybe January this year, we were walking through and the park and I just remember telling him, like, I feel like a cliche sermon illustration because like I've had this job now for like a year or two years 
and it's just like so unfulfilling. <laughs> like, like I'd been going for it for really a decade, a decade, and it's not satisfying. It's like, it's like okay, I'm thankful for it. But yet, like what we see in Simeon, it's like, I'm done. I'm out. Like you can dismiss your servant now. Like I'm done with my life. Like this is everything, and it just shows us if we are to pursue Jesus we're to like really cling to him it'll totally be worth it won't be a let down <laughs> he says for my eyes have seen your salvation verse 30 and i love this to see jesus is to see salvation personified salvation is a person it's not a thing you have to do not a belief system to live by not a prayer to pray but like a absolute person which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Verse 32, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for all your people. This harkens back to Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 49. And basically what's happening here is Simeon saying, actually my dreams, my, what I was hoping for, he was hoping for the consolation of Israel. But what he's in this moment was revealed to him, what he proclaims. It's like, oh no, I was dreaming too small. I was dreaming too small. It was actually, it's not just for Israel, it's for all the nations. Isaiah 49 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles so my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. His dreams were too small. In verse 33, uh, says the child's father and mother marveled about what he was said. We talked about that. Mike, you brought that up. And then verse 51, it says, Mary treasured these things in, his heart, in her heart. Then Simeon gives the most awkward blessing ever. Simeon blesses them and said to his mother, Mary, yes, I'm thinking Mary, oh, great, I'm going to get a blessing now. This child is destined to call the, fa- the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Great, thanks, Simeon, for the blessing. Appreciate that. But I think it points to the fact, I mean, it points to Jesus is going to be the cornerstone, the stumbling block. He is going to be the sign and he's going to be the sword, right? He's going to cause division. And right here, even though this is like the most holy, incredible moment, What Simeon is saying, it's not going to be pain-free for Mary. And it's a lot of commentaries agree it's pointing forward to Mary at the foot of the cross, looking up at her tortured son. And even at this moment, to follow Jesus means there's going to be a splitting. It's not a pain-free life. And yet I love the fact that Mary, though, the next time we see her, she's in the upper room worshiping with the disciples and receiving the Holy Spirit. She's there with it. Verse 36, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, I think, a tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She said she was of the tribe of Asher, which is actually important. So Asher was in the northern kingdom. And so in this story, as God is revealing and bringing all of these people together, 
It's actually all tribes of Israel are involved, the northern and the southern kingdom together, which is pretty important. Most scholars, there's some debate about how old Anna is, but most scholars would say she's 105 at this point. She's probably married at age 14, lived seven years with her husband, then was a widow for 84 more years, which would put her at 105. And I just think it's incredible. Imagine this, like put yourself in her shoes. Like at age 21, her whole future life devastated. I mean, had she dreamed of dedicating a child in the temple at some point and was never able to have that moment. And yet she decided right here she was going to dedicate herself to the temple. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, and it kind of calls, in the, um, calls into mind, like Psalm, uh, David's cry in Psalm 27. One thing do I ask for, one thing do I seek, to, to be in your temple, uh, to gaze upon your beauty in the temple, uh, to be in your presence. Or uh, Psalm 84 which is how beautiful is your dwelling place. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. We, we see this woman, she chooses in response. So there's some probably really crazy pain to say, no, I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. And 84 years later, she sees the coming Messiah. It says, coming, verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The ESV study Bible on this point says God reveals his secret purposes in history to humble servants who continually live in his presence. So some three, some, some quick points just to wrap us up. And I'm going to tell, tell a story, but I think three points about what God does, I think, from this story. He honors a heart devoted to him. He sends his spirit and he fulfills his promises. God honors a heart that is devoted to him. We see these pictures of Simeon and Anna just dedicating their lives. God, Hebrews eleven six says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and you find me when you seek me with all of your heart. A.W. Tozer says, God waits to be wanted. John Tyson says, God comes where he's wanted. And I want to be a church that says, we want you here, God. Like, we want your presence here. We see in Anna and Simeon, actually not just waiting, but actually preparing. Anna worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Simeon, in his six verses that he gave blessing, he quotes Genesis 15, Psalm 119, Psalm 138, Isaiah 70, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 46, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 60. Like you poke him and the promises of God through scripture come out, right? Like he is like so, like that's how much he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. He's long, you get the sense like this is what he has lived for. I can, I can die now, God. I've seen it. I've seen it. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't just come onto the scene after this. We have to be introduced to another character first. It's John the Baptist. And it's so interesting. Like God says, you're not ready, Israelites, yet for Jesus to come. I'm going to send John the Baptist because he's got to prepare the way. 
There's a season of preparation that's needed. And what does that look like, repentance? It looks like consecration. It looks like dedicating and devotion to God. So I think waiting is also preparing. Uh, I will take this time to put a little plug. We're going to start off the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to call Break the Soil off of Hosea 10 verses 12. Get into that in a minute. But I just think, man, I'm sensing like we need a fresh filling and presence of God. We need God here. And we want to give the first, the first month of the year, the first three weeks of the year at least, to seeking God. So I encourage you to come and be a part of that. The second is God sends his spirit. Simeon was a man full of spirit. He was guided by the spirit and he spoke by the spirit. Anna, a prophet, testified by the spirit. Devotion leads to revelation. Um, There's this quote uh, by St. Bernard about Advent. It's kind of famous. Um, He calls it the middle coming. He says, we know I think I got this on the screen. Yeah, we know there lies three comings of the Lord. The third lies in between the other two. It is invisible, while the other two are visible. In the first coming, he was seen on earth, dwelling among men. In the final coming, all flesh will see salvation of our God, and they will look on him who they pierced. The intermediate coming is a hidden one. In it, only the elect see the Lord within their own selves, and they are saved. In this coming, our Lord came in our flesh and in our weakness. In this middle coming, he comes in spirit and in power. In the final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty because this coming lies between the other two. It is a road on which we travel from the first coming to the last. Jesus came once, he came again, but in the middle he promises his Holy Spirit. And I think he wants to meet us again. And I want to be a church that says, oh, we want your presence. We want your presence now, Jesus. We want you to pour out. We want to experience you. We want all of San Francisco to experience you, right? And then third, God fulfills his promises. Verse 29, as you have promised, my eyes have seen salvation. Jesus is the promise. God has given to the world being fulfilled. But also notice this. It's not just the the promises over all of Israel. It's the promise to Simeon. You promised that I would see the Lord before I died. And God is faithful. He's always working even in in the waiting. God honors a devoted heart. God wants to send his spirit. And God fulfills his promises. I'll end on this story. It's a story from the Hebridean Revival, if you know the Hebrides Revival. Hebrides is an island off of um, the island of Scotland. And it was one of the last major recorded revivals in uh, at least Western history. Um, and the story goes like this. The whole thing, I mean, th- this revival was intense. It was crazy. I mean, there are accounts of sailors and ships like sailing by the island, being slain in the Holy Spirit, and like coming to the island, repenting and receiving Jesus. Like that's the kind of revival. I mean, this is all documented within modern history. Um, There's a great book on it you can read. But it all started with two old ladies, 84 and 82. One was blind, 
one was crippled over with arthritis. They were part of this old dying church and they looked around in this church in Hebrides and saw that there were no young people. They said, we got to do something about this. And so they resolved. They were in leadership. They didn't have any positions, but they resolved to give themselves to prayer. So they're praying one night and they felt like they had a vision from God, a vision of that church being full of young people giving their lives to Jesus. And so they called up their leaders and they said, hey, we got this vision. We need to rally a church. We need to pray into this. And to the leader's credit, they didn't dismiss him. He knew two old ladies giving themselves to prayer. Do not mess with them. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. And so they called the church to prayer. And so the leaders gathered together. And actually, uh, one night, they, they called an all-night prayer meeting. They were praying from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. And they're actually in different places. The leaders were in this barn. I'm giving the shortened version of this. But the ladies were in this cottage, and they were praying together. And it, so it goes, the leaders, um, just about 3 a.m., got convicted of their own sin. And there was this the verse, I forget which verse, I didn't look it up, but he, who, who goes and ascends the hill but clean hearts, or something like that. Yeah, do you know it? Oh, fantastic. Come next week. And they were convicted. Oh, we don't have clean hearts. Give us clean hearts, God. And they were convicted about their own unholiness and crying out to God for their holiness. And then at 3 a.m., um, the ladies in the barn felt the, the presence of the Holy Spirit come down. And they actually both go outside and on the streets. And the, the Spirit of God is so present, according to these accounts. They can't even, like, walk on the road. They can't walk. It's just crazy. And then all, and actually other people who weren't even involved in, in the island start, like, noticing. And, start, and actually people start gathering at the church just, just randomly. It's crazy. But the problem is they had no pastor. They had no one to lead. And so they thought, what are we going to do? And they knew that there was a speaker in another nearby island. His name was Duncan Campbell. And so one of them got on a boat, went over to this island and said, hey, would you come and lead? Actually, Duncan Campbell, he was a Scottish Presbyterian um, pastor. So like, not like happy, clappy, charismatic, right? But he had heard the voice of God say, hey, I actually want you to leave the event you're supposed to be speaking at and go with with you know this new opportunity and these people show up and say hey we've got these people that need someone to preach to them would you come so he leaves he like doesn't preach his last session he leaves he goes he arrives at a church full of young people that are ready to receive the gospel he preaches the gospel they accept Jesus and the revival begins and it all started (laughs) because two old ladies 82 and 84 one blind one riddled with arthritis started to pray. Started to pray. And I think, you can look around. We're not too mighty, are we? <laughs> we got some youth. We got that on our side. <laughs> but it doesn't look like this is the group that's going to start a movement that would change all of Western society, does it? <laughs> But God hears the cry of his people. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. What if God has us here 
We may not be very successful in much. <laughs> we may not be able to do, I don't know what you are here in San Francisco for or like what you're going for in your job, but what if, I do know this, God can use us in prayer. What if God has us here at this moment to seek his presence, to seek his face for this city, for our lives, for this church, for our family, for the renewal of his church here. Anyone want to sign up for that? <laughs> I think we look at Anna and Simeon and we see God was silent for 430 years. They had no reason, no data point in their lives to believe that this day that they woke up would be any different. But they kept on praying. They kept on seeking. They kept on living lives devoted to them. And that day, everything changed. And God used them in the story. And we're talking about them 2,000 years ago because the impression they made on Mary and because of their role in redemptive history. This Advent season, I want to encourage us, what would it look like to lean in, to seek God afresh? What I want to do, um, I want to actually take five minutes. How are we to respond? I don't know. The Holy Spirit does, though. <laughs> like, I want to take five minutes before we leave this place. We've got a little bit of time. Five minutes. I'm going to put on some music, and I just want you to actually ask Jesus, hey, what do you have for me in this? Maybe go back through that scripture. Just open it up. Look for a phrase. Look for a word. Look for something. I actually have a few questions on the screen, too. Maybe you want to ask one of these questions. You don't have to, but where am I in the midst of the story? Which character do you want to speak to me through? What does it look like for me to wait on God in this season? Where has salvation appeared that I need to recognize and celebrate? What needs to be torn down, the, pro the prophecy from Isaiah 40? What needs to be torn down or fulfilled in order to prepare the way for the Lord? Maybe it's one of those questions. Maybe it's just, again, sitting with God, looking at the scripture. I'm going to put on a song, last five minutes, and that song's over. What I'd love to do is actually not just share, but actually pray out the, of the scripture. When we look at the scripture, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? What does it say about the world? And we'll just take a few minutes, five more minutes, together to come together and pray. And what God speaks to you and your prayer might speak to me and my prayer might speak to you. And we'll see how God puts us together and in our response out of this song to God. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Father, we just want you to make us a people that above all, give thanks to God and who speaks about this child, to people who are looking forward to something more, God. We just ask, would you make us a people that give thanks? Thank you, Jesus. Our eyes have seen salvation in the person of Jesus. We've tasted and we've seen, Father. Thank you, God. And would you make us people that are just happy to say, how Jesus has changed our lives, what he's done in us. God, would you make me someone who is able to share, Father. But we just pray, God, would you speak to the people in our city? Would you show, would your salvation come to all people? You say to all people, God, would you bring people in? Would you bring people home, God? 
this Advent season, we just pray, God, for our hearts that we, you would help us know what it means not just to wait, but to prepare. Prepare for you to come in power, God. Prepare for you to come in softness. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. If we can be of any help to you, please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuarysf.com. We would love to connect. And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.